Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. I'm the co-senior pastor here at Vineyard Altoona. And if this is your first time joining us, I especially want to welcome you. I know it's a difficult thing to check out uh, a new church, and hopefully being online has made this a little bit easier for you. But I hope our time together is beneficial, and I'd really love to meet you sometime. So we're going to continue. You know, when we started 2021... Uh, we began a new series that we called Core. And the idea behind the series was that we need to be reminded so frequently of who we are and the story that we're living. You know, we make sense of our lives in story. That based on the story that we're living, that's how we make sense of who we are and what we're supposed to do and what's meaningful in life. And so often we forget Uh, what story we're living. And over our lives, this comes because we're, we're constantly bombarded with alternatives, aren't we? Aren't there always alternative narratives about the lives that we're living? Aren't we offered with all kinds of alternatives? I feel like 2020 was a year where we were offered all kinds of alternatives. That we who follow Jesus would say we're kingdom people with a story that comes from scripture. But I tell you what, 2020 offered me all kinds of alternative stories. Didn't you feel that way? So as we began the new year, I felt like it was important to let's come back to ground zero. Let's come back and drill back down to the identity that we have and remind ourselves of who we are. That we're people who belong to the story of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to the story of God, that you have been invited into this grand narrative of Scripture that God is telling. But then also, it means that we're part of the church of Jesus Christ, that there's there's a story there, there's an identity as the church of Jesus Christ. And then within that, being a part of Vineyard Altoona, there's a story that we're a part of. And it comes with certain values. And so uh, we, we spent the, the first part of this series talking about those things. And like our mission and the mission of God, our core values, the ways that we behave. Uh, and we all take that from Scripture. Uh, and so I'm going to tick those off quickly for you. But if you missed any of those messages, you can go back. You can catch them on our podcast, uh, wherever you consume podcast. Uh, content, or you can go to our YouTube channel. Uh, all those things are there, but I'll just quickly tick off the highlights. Like God's mission is to restore all things, that God is on a mission to make all things new again, and that he is inviting people who have walked away from relationship to him back into relationship, that that's what God's up to, that God is reaching out with his love and his grace and inviting people back into relationship with him and into the mission that he's on to reach others who are distanced from him. That's God's mission. And it's the mission that the church of Jesus Christ has been invited into. At Vineyard Altoona, we believe that 
we have been invited to equip people to release the kingdom of God. And it's, a, it's just one way to say that we live into that mission that God is on. That this organization known as Vineyard Altoona exists to equip, encourage, and empower you to be on God's mission in the world. That the, the end goal of Vineyard Altoona is not to get more people into Vineyard Altoona. It's get to more people from Vineyard Altoona into the world. That the world would be transformed on behalf of the kingdom because we were there. Uh, and out of that, we also have values. that We have core values that dictate how we behave as we engage in this mission. And there are three uh, core values that we will not violate as a church. Number one, we, we join what God is doing. At Vineyard Altoona, we don't want to do whatever we think is important. We want to do what God is doing. Because cover to cover in the Bible, that's what happens. That God dictates and we respond. The second core value is we highly value the outsider. And we do this because we see that God values the outsider. When relationship was broken with humanity, God pursued the outsider. And our third value is we pursue wholeness with authenticity. That we are people... Who, who are on our way to being made whole, that God is making us new. This process of sanctification Evan talked about last week, that God is making us new. And we do this not by covering up or pretending that all things are okay. We, we do this by being authentic, by vulnerably disclosing who we are, that we might become the kind of people God intended us to be. That's our values. So with all of that set, what I want to do now is I want to turn this week and next to answer the question, what does that all mean for us now? So we've covered all these things. Now that we know who we are, what does it mean for how we exist in the world? And this week, what I want to talk about is how do we be kingdom people? If you're not a follower of Jesus, how do you become a follower of Jesus? How do you join in the story God is writing? And if you are a follower of Jesus, how do we engage as kingdom people? That's what I want to talk about today. And uh, would you pray with me before we open scripture? So Lord, I do welcome you into this time. And God, I surrender my thoughts, my words. Lord, everything that comes out in this uh, 20 or 25 minutes, God, I pray that it would reflect you accurately. God, that for those who hear my voice, Lord, this would be an accurate description of the invitation that you give. God, would you shield the world from all that is me, that your glory would shine through. God, I pray that you enable me to speak as I should. And I pray, God, that you would give gifts of faith to those who hear. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, would you turn with me? Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Genesis chapter 12. Now, while you're turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, let me set up what's happening in this part of Scripture. You see, the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 1. So in Genesis chapter 1, God creates all things. And everything goes great, right? I mean, if you read Genesis 1, it's this nice, like, back and forth. 
you know, the, the evening and the morning, the first day, and there's this sort of like this great rhythm, this, this sort of like song-like narrative of God creating all things. And everything goes great for two chapters. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, Eve, after having been told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she disobeys God. And she says that she wants to be like God. That's the lie the serpent told her. That's a lie Satan told her. That if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. And this is the great sin that enters the world, right? That all of us want to be like God. We don't want to be images of God. We want to be God. And so uh, she eats the fruit. She gives it to Adam. He eats the fruit and all goes wrong. It spirals out of control. And by chapter six of Genesis, God's ready to just wipe the slate clean and start over. And so he chooses a guy, Noah, and he says, Noah, I want you to build a boat because I'm going to flood the whole creation and we're going to wipe it clean and we're going to start over. And so Noah builds this boat. He gets all these animals and his family on the boat. They close the boat up. God closes the door and then he floods the creation because everything has gotten so out of control. So God chooses Noah. Noah's riding around in a boat. The water recedes after everything has perished. And they get out. And as you follow along, sin is still there. That people still are, are inclined to sin, inclined to be their own gods, to do things their own way. And so it culminates in chapter 11. Things have gotten so out of control that people have decided they're going to build a tower to make a great name for themselves. Remember, back in Genesis 1, people were created to be image, they were to be the image of God. They were to reflect God's goodness. And instead, they were building a tower to make a name for themselves. The people again want to be God. And God gets to this place where he's like, well, I can't allow that because that's not what you're created for. And so he confuses their language. Nobody understands anyone else. They all abandon the project, walk away, and we're left wondering what God is going to do. He promised never to flood all of creation again. And we're left wondering. And by the end of chapter 11, we've been introduced to this guy, Abram, but it's a very just sort of simple, innocuous introduction there's not a lot to it. He's not a notable guy. And here's what we see when we get to chapter 12. What's God going to do? Is he going to abandon the whole project? Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12, 1-3. When faced with the reality that sin was destroying creation... God didn't walk away. God didn't choose to abandon creation and say, well, you all get what you deserve. God chose for himself Abram. 
and he set in motion this plan to restore all things, not because Abram was somebody special, but solely by God's grace. You know, I've heard it said frequently, you know, the Old Testament is law. The Old Testament, you know, for those of you who are not familiar, the first basically two-thirds of the book, the Old Testament is law, but then the New Testament, the remaining portion of Scripture, it's grace. Jesus comes and God becomes gracious. There have been people who have had a hard time saying, well, it seems like the Old Testament is law and God is a little bit different than in the New Testament. But friends, that's simply not true. From cover to cover, this whole book The story is of God's great love and grace. He creates all things out of his great love and all invitation from cover to cover is by grace. God didn't choose Abram because he was holy. In fact, if you read the book, after Abram starts going, he displays anything but holiness. He gives his wife away and says that she's his sister to save his own hide. Abram is not exactly a holy guy, but the only reason that you could call Abram holy is because God chose him by grace. That's the only way. That's the way it works. The whole thing is all by grace. All of the initiation is on God's side of the table. All through the passage, the common thread, if you read it again, is what God is going to do. It's not what Abram does. It's what God is going to do through Abram. In fact, he's not even asking Abram to become a great nation or have a great name. He doesn't say that. He says that all these things I will do. It's all by grace. The only thing that Abram asks or God asks of Abram in his invitation is faith and obedience. God doesn't tell Abram to be a great nation. He invites him to be obedient. And the grace of God will make him a great nation. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are not saved somehow because you deserve it. As if God looked out over humanity and said, well, that one has something I want. No. All through scripture, what we're told is that you're saved by grace through faith. Why? So that no one can boast. You don't bring anything to the table but your sin. God, by his great grace, restores you. He redeems you. He brings you in. The Bible says you're saved by grace. Now, if you are someone who's listening to this message, who's not a follower of Jesus, I want to talk directly to you. You are not here by accident. You're not hearing this by accident. God, in his great grace, is inviting you to come near to him. That's why you're hearing this. You thought somebody, you know, sent you the link, or you thought somebody invited you to a house. God in his providence and his great grace is inviting you. He's drawing you not to get your act together. He's not saying, get your act together and then you can come follow me. God is drawing you as you are 
into relationship with himself to experience his grace. Every interaction with God is based on grace. No matter how long you follow Jesus, no matter how cleaned up your life gets, and if you follow Jesus, that will happen, there's no basis for relationship with God apart from his grace. It's always only ever been grace. Now, if when I say that, it bristles you, if it rubs you the wrong way, if there's kind of like sandpaper, you just feel like, man, I don't like that. Can I offer you a piece of pastoral counsel? If you are someone that gets upset with the idea that everything in the kingdom is grace, it would be worth sitting before the Lord and asking where it is in your life that you think you've earned it. Let me say it again. If it bothers you that, that everything in the kingdom is by grace, it would be worth sitting before the Lord and asking him where in your life you think you've earned it. Certainly, we cooperate with the grace that God gives by obedience. And certainly, that transforms how we look and live in the world, but we never earn it. Everything in the kingdom is grace. We never find a place in the kingdom that we've earned. It's all grace, every bit of it. And if that bothers you, you should sit before the Lord because it's what the book says. He wrote it. I didn't write it. You can get mad at me if you want, but I mean, ultimately you're mad at him. God chooses Abram by grace. And then he begins to speak over him all the things he's going to do with and through him. The only thing God asks of Abram is to respond to his invitation with faith. God has all of these great plans for Abram and his descendants in, in verses 2 and verses 3. And the only condition of the passage is that Abram has to trust God and do what God says. So what does God ask of Abram? Here's what he asks. He says, give up everything you know and go somewhere I'll show you later. How do you like that? That's sort of like, you didn't really answer me, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll tell you later. God says, just give up everything that you're familiar with. Give up, give up everything you're comfortable with, and I'll tell you later where we're going. Here's, here's what he says in verse 1. He says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Give up all those things you know. And what? To the land I will show you. The call of God is always to surrender everything and to begin to walk in response to God's direction, that's always the call. That's always the invitation is to surrender everything to God and then to respond to what he tells you. The call of God is not a self-help program. The call of God is not a program to just make you a little more moral. The call of God is not just about a free ticket to heaven when you die. In the Bible, the call of God is total surrender. It always is a radical experience, even if you don't realize it in the moment. 
Jesus says that to follow him is to take up your cross. What he's saying is, to follow me means you have to die. To follow Jesus is not to act a little better. To follow Jesus is to die that Christ might live in you. It's not about acting better. It's about Jesus making you a better person. It's about Jesus making you a new creation. You have to die. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in in Germany uh, during World War II with the Nazis, and he was killed by the Nazis for resisting. Uh, But before he was killed, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in his book, he says this. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. For some of us, the life we lived before we surrendered to Christ, we were more than happy to surrender, right? For some of us, we had made a mess of our lives. I was more than happy when I gave my life to Jesus. I had made such a mess of my life. I was glad to surrender. I didn't know how far surrender meant, but I was glad to give it to him. But for others of us, it feels like a high cost because we feel like there's value in our lives the way that we've built them. And so we're we're called to count the cost and to respond to God involves surrendering everything. We surrender everything we have. Now, how's that for marketing, right? Hey, give up your entire life. You might have to die, right? That's not great marketing. No advertising agency would ever tell you to market anything that way, right? We should probably play up all the good parts, right? Derek, just talk about verses two and three and how amazing the things that God says uh, Abram is going to be and do. Don't talk about verse one. We got to give up everything. But here's the problem. In the Bible, becoming God's people is never portrayed that way. In the Bible, invitation is always to die completely. To die. Here's why. Let me tell you why. If Abram chooses in chapter 12 not to respond to God in faith and surrender everything that he knows and everything that he has... He gets to take ownership for anything that happens in his life. You know, he may have a couple of kids and a whole bunch of animals. And when he gets to the end of his life, he's sitting on the porch. Got Sarah over here and she's making some tea. He's looking out and his kids are taking care of the fields. And he can say, I made a great life for myself. This was amazing. Instead of a life of significance, he would have to tell stories about what God did in other people, right? You know, he would say, well, you know, my great-great-grandfather, gather around, children. My great-great-grandfather, Noah, God told him to build a boat, and he did such amazing things for God. And so, you know, Abram would have been left, you know, with all this stuff that he built for himself, but a life of insignificance where he's telling stories about what God did in somebody else. But here's the thing. God has more in store for Abraham than to tell cool God stories about other people. God offers Abram a life of such tremendous significance and purpose and blessing that's so completely supernatural. 
a life that he couldn't even imagine for himself. I want you, I want you to look again at verses two and three, how big of a deal the life that uh, God invites Abram into. Listen to this. God wants to make Abram a great nation. He don't want to just make him have a nice big family. He wants to make Abram a great nation. God wants to make Abram's name great. If you think just one chapter before chapter 11, where everybody wanted to make a great name for themselves, God trashed that project. And yet here, God wants to make Abram a great name for, uh, make, make Abram's name great. God wants to use Abram's family to bring blessing for the whole world. Can you grasp how much power God is talking about in Abram's life and in his family. Can you grasp that? Can you just sense how much, how big the invitation to Abram is? It's a vision for Abram's life that's downright dangerous if it doesn't begin by Abram giving up everything. If Abram has any leg at all to stand on to say that he made this happen, it's dangerous to give somebody that kind of power. Abram surrenders everything he knows because then the possibility exists that Abram could give all the glory to God because it's clear that he didn't make it happen himself. Here's my point. Here's the point that I want to make, and then we'll wrap this up. God has created you and me for a life of such great power and great blessing. He's created you to display his glory in the world. He's created you to receive his blessing and to be a pipeline of his blessing in the world. God has given you power to cast demons out of people. That freaks me out. The fact that God would trust us with that. God has given you the ability to have the Holy Spirit reside in you. He's created you to have that kind of relationship with himself. That is a life of significance and power. If you adopt a religion called Christianity without dying completely, if you just pray a prayer to get a ticket into heaven when you die without surrendering everything of your life, it leaves you in control and it leaves you in the position of demanding from God the accolade that belongs to you. And it makes you a person that can't be trusted with God's glory. If you're someone who is always telling stories about what God is doing in someone else, if you're someone that's always telling healing stories that you weren't part of, if you're someone who's always telling stories about how someone got saved because of this other cool experience that you didn't have. If you're always telling someone else's stories because it doesn't seem like God is doing much in and through your life, I would encourage you to take an honest look with the Lord at your life and ask him, allow him to show you the areas of your life that you have not surrendered. If you haven't surrendered everything to the Lord, if there's places where you still hold power, you still hold control, 
You'll always be looking at what someone else gets. You'll always be judging how someone else gets handled. You'll always be judging what's going on in someone else's life. You'll always be trying to latch on to someone else's experience. You'll always be pointing the finger about how you got a raw deal because look at what they got. You'll always be waiting for acknowledgement and accolade that you believe that you're due. And what you'll find is that the power and the presence of God will be woefully absent from your life. Friends, I have met so many people, and it sticks out like a sore thumb to me, who talk a really, really, really big game about their Christian life, but from whom I see no power and no evidence of the presence of God in their lives. I see so many people who don't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and it's because they've not surrendered everything. It's the only way forward in the kingdom. What I believe is that God in his great grace has invited you to live a life that has a kingdom impact, one that's far greater than you could ever imagine. God has called this church to help, to encourage, and to equip you for this kind of supernatural life. And that begins by responding to God's grace in your life, And it it continues as you surrender in faith. That you trust God and you surrender everything. And as you follow him in obedience, he will shape and form you into the kind of person he designed you to be. The more you follow him, the longer you follow him, the more you'll realize there are areas of your life that don't measure up. The more you'll discover about who he is. And a life of following Jesus involves continually surrendering all that you know about yourself to all that you know about God. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed. And we'll see you next time.